0: Well, good morning, everybody, here in the Lufkin location, uh, all of our family in the Nacogdoches uh, campus, everybody at the Duncan Unit and Dieball Correctional Center, uh, Glacia, Timber Creek, everybody watching online, so glad to have you. We are in week two of a series we've entitled Intentional Living in a Culture of Compromise. This feeling of push and pull that all of us experience in a culture that frankly, is not been moving closer to God, but really further away from God. And the tension we feel there is because even though a culture might be moving away from God, it doesn't mean that the culture of your home has to do the same. The culture of your own heart has to move away from God. The culture of your own family or community, we're in this tension when some people will feel one way and others feel another. Some serve God and others serve other lower G gods. And the key is how How do we live uh, in this life full of tensions? How do we live in this life full of tensions? Uh, Especially as Christ followers, when we are in the world but not of the world. We're supposed to be in the middle of the thick of it and yet not be consumed by it. The Bible says later in the book of James that we should be wise as serpents, harmless as doves, serpents, cunning, quick, uh, agile. Uh, doves, uh, approachable, uh, cute. Uh, you know, at, at the end of a wedding, you might have doves released as the bride and groom run out of the chapel and into the limousine. Uh, very rarely would you see, I don't, I don't know what wedding it would be like, that, that they release a bunch of serpents at the end of the wedding. You know, you got the wisdom and you got this beauty together. And uh, so in other words, God's calling us to be wise and harmless snake birds, We're supposed to be Timber Creek Snapers. That's our our mascot this year. And we will feel tension in relationships, tension in work, tension in culture. Um, Another area is tension is usually felt and defined mostly in the decisions you and I make. We begin to feel tension when we are placed with two decisions, two, three, four, five, and the tension between which one to choose. Uh, One of those decisions would be against right. I'm gonna choose the right way or the wrong way. Now that can be a little bit easier depending upon what question you're asking, what decision, do I want to burn myself? No, that's the wrong thing. I wanna do the right thing and avoid that thing that's gonna burn me, right and wrong. But then we feel the tension between I want to do the right thing, but I don't have the discipline to do the right thing. I, I don't do the right thing, and oh, I do the wrong thing instead. We feel the tension. Sometimes we feel tension between something that's right and something that's also right. In other words, it's two jobs, and you're not really for sure which one to take. There's pros and cons to both. There's two ways to go. Two thoughts that that can both are okay and acceptable, but you're having to make a choice between the two. That's a hard tension and your tension is defined and refined in the middle of decision-making. Here is where we stand today in our culture. We stand in the tension between when God says, whoa, and culture says, go. When God says, hold up, wait up, that, 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 stop. And culture says, let's go, 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 faux show, let's head out. How do we respond in this tension? Because this tension when the Bible, when God's word says, no, 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 no. Whoa, 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 whoa. And culture says, who cares, just go for it. We're living in the tension between the spirit of God and the spirit of darkness. And that spirit of darkness throughout the Old Testament is described as the spirit of Babylon. It was a kingdom that came into mighty power as Israel eventually was toppled. The the chosen people, their, their, their nation was taken into captivity for 70 years by the kingdom of Babylon. And we see this played out, this spirit of tension between the spirit of God and the spirit of Babylon played out right there in the Old Testament. And the book of Daniel is where we've set up camp last week. The book of Daniel is a story of the tension between those two kingdoms, God's kingdom in the kingdom of this world. And Daniel finds himself as a teenage boy who is in the middle of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is under siege, attacked, taken over. The Israeli flag is torn down. The Babylonian flag flies high over the palace of rubble. And all of those men and women, instead of being wiped out, instead of being executed up against the wall, they are actually taken captive and they're going to reindoctrinate. They're going to brainwash. They're going to take over not just their city and their nation, they're going to take over their culture. They're gonna take over their identity by giving Daniel new names. His three amigos, uh, uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azrael, they're gonna be taken over and given new names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel's given the name Belteshazzar, and they are struggling with identity, struggling with who to be. If you didn't listen to last week's message, I invite you to check out the podcast or go to our app or go online at TimberCreekChurch.com so you can get the basis and understanding of where we're headed today because Daniel goes into Babylon and is in captivity for 70 years. It's 605 BC, Daniel is forced into chains and he's forced to walk the road from Jerusalem all the way to Babylon, 700 mile journey. That's leaving Lufkin and walking to Tallahassee, Florida. This is Daniel's journey. In chapter one, he's renamed. Then in chapter two, we see Daniel get his opportunity to excel. Uh, Daniel is not just a slave in the kingdom, but now he begins to excel Awesome qualities, and the king has a crazy dream. Nobody can interpret it, and so he calls on Daniel. Daniel interprets the dream. Uh, it's it's this crazy dream about this huge statue: a head of gold, a body of silver, legs of bronze, feet of iron. And and Daniel says, "You're the gold, but there's other kingdoms coming after you." And that whole interpretation of the dream gives Daniel access that nobody else has to the king and to the kingdom. And during this time, Daniel says, hey, don't just give me access. I got three guys that are really sharp and smart too. They're my compadres, they're my posse, they're my three amigos, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Can they become part of the kingdom too? And King Nebuchadnezzar invites them in. And then we get into 17 years later. Daniel 1, three years later, we have Daniel chapter two, 17 years later, we have Daniel chapter three. And we pick up the story of these three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, in the middle of a test of their life. Let's take a look. Daniel chapter three, verse one. King Nebuchadnezzar, he made an image of gold, 60 cubits high and six cubits wide. That's 90 feet tall and nine feet wide, eight stories eight stories about five times the height of the ceiling in the Lufkin location. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, the prefects, the governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. A lot of scholars say they're not really for sure what the job descriptions are of all these different people, prefects, governors, advisors, magistrates, other provincial. I just wanna say to you, that's like, our government at work, even back in Babylon. It's like bureaucracy at its finest. What's a say trap? I don't know. I just serve the king. Moving on. Then the herald loudly proclaimed. He got up on the stage. Everybody had been assembled. This is like uh, a military parade. This is mass uh, military might pageantry. Uh, the tanks are lined up. Uh, the, the 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 governors and the magistrates are all in their gowns and their robes and their suits and ties. And there's trumpets hanging out here and the drum sets all set over there. And somebody's warming up the violin. All, all across, everybody's getting ready for this awesome day where they're going to pay homage to the king and bow down and worship. The herald proclaimed nations, peoples of every language. Now, hang on to that, that's important. This is what you're commanded to do. We're not suggesting this, we're not giving you kind of the option. This is what you're commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the images of gold, the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Okay? Like, okay? (laughs) What choice do they have? Because they say, whoever doesn't worship, you're gonna die. Therefore, (laughs) and as luck would have it, As soon as they heard the music, all the people of every language fell down and worshiped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up." The truth is whatever God creates, Satan counterfeits. And in the first few verses of this story, we see the counterfeit kingdom of Satan, all the pageantry of the counterfeit of the enemy at play. Let me give you a few of these. There's several, I could give you nine or 10. Let me just give you, let me just give you five. Here are some incendiary insights uh, to the counterfeit culture. Number one, we see a counterfeit image building. Nebuchadnezzar took a lot of time, took a lot of energy, took a lot of strength, took a lot of gifts of people to create a 90 foot golden statue. Uh, ego much, (laughs) self-confident much, self-assurance much, pretty proud in himself. Uh, He he was really proud of his own leadership and his own kingdom. And he worked hard to create an image that everybody else would see and bow down toward. The truth is he had a false sense of identity because in Daniel chapter two, this is really part of the dream he had. The dream said there was a massive statue, a head of gold and a body of silver, legs of bronze and feet of iron. Well, this was an entire statue of gold. And that whole dream that Daniel interpreted the chapter before was basically saying, you're at the head right now, but there's other kingdoms coming that, that are not gonna survive. You're not gonna survive, other kingdoms are gonna come. but. Nebuchadnezzar didn't think that way. He just assumed I'm gonna be king forever. So instead of building this statue of all the different pieces, he just makes the whole thing of gold. Now how vain and how arrogant and how cocky for some guy to make a 90 foot statue of them But many of us, including me, build 90 foot spiritual statues in our hearts, in our lives every single day. We do it when we want to impress, when we want to give a, image of a larger than life image of who we are afraid of what people might think if they really saw the real us. How do you know if you are image building, counterfeit image building? If who you are, who you seem to be is not who you really are, if who you seem to be is not who you really are, you've got a 90 foot statue with, with construction cranes all around it. The truth is Satan wants you to focus on what you can do to build you, what you can do to build self. And yet God, his real image is that you and I are made in his image. That God is the one that constructs our lives, made in the image of the one true Father God. And we see counterfeit image building at its finest. Here's the second thing we see, we see counterfeit worship. Everybody is to bow down and worship the image. Did you recognize maybe, maybe it may have sounded familiar to you when the scripture, the herald says, all peoples of every nation and every language bow down to this image because in the book of Revelation, the final, uh, the final chapter of us worshiping with God in heaven. Uh, John the Revelator describes in Revelation chapter seven, he says that all multitude, more than you could count of all nations, of every language, of all peoples, they bow down before the throne they bow down before the lamb. This is a counterfeit king. This is a counterfeit kingdom. This is a counterfeit throne and he is demanding counterfeit worship. Why is it counterfeit? Because real worship is freely given. You can't be forced to worship. That's why God's not gonna force you to worship him. If you don't wanna worship God on this side of heaven, he will not make you stay in, uh, in heaven when you die. If you don't, wanna, you don't wanna freely worship God here, he won't force you to worship him there. Real worship is freely given, not forcefully demanded. Satan tried this with Jesus in the uh, wilderness after he'd been baptized and he goes into the wilderness fasting and praying for 40 days. Satan comes in and says, if you'll just bow down and worship me, I'll give you everything. That's a forced, demanded worship. That's slavery, that's not worship. They are enslaved to the king of Babylon. They are not worshiping the God of Babylon. And if they think they're worshiping a God of Babylon, they're soon gonna realize he's not the strongest God. The third incendiary insight into counterfeit culture. Number three, counterfeit evangelism. I want you to notice that they were forced to convert. They were having religion forced down their throat. I'm so thankful that we have freedom of religion here but we do not have to force, cannot force it down someone else's throat. That's not the gospel. The gospel's good news. Good news isn't making someone choke on the gospel. It's his kindness that leads to repentance. And in this, we see a counterfeit evangelism. We see uh, evangelism that is that is imposed upon them versus proposed. When something's imposed, you are demanded to do it. When it's proposed, it's an option for you to choose. Can I say to you that we have to stop being upset when unchurched, unclaimed, unsaved people act When non-Christians act like non-Christians, Christians gotta stop getting bent out of shape about it because evangelism isn't about imposing your beliefs on someone who doesn't know God. You're supposed to actually show them through your kindness and your love and your togetherness and your peace, your feet put with the gospel, the shoes of the gospel of peace that we prayed over last closer night, part of the armor of God, that through the peace of your life, the joy of your life, the goodness of your life, not, not forcing someone to believe your way, not, 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 not making them bow down, but proposing, inviting. This is how culture is responding. You may not even see it, but here's what counterfeit evangelism looks like. It looks like counterculture, a cancel culture. It it looks like culture that when you disagree, impose, cancel it, cancel it, cancel it, shut it down, hold it off, turn it off, cancel. This culture is a spirit of Babylon that has a cancel culture on anything that would push against the narrative of the spirit of Babylon. And you and I are invited to have a real evangelism that instead of cancel culture, we would have conversations Some of you need to stop shooting your thumbs off on social media because you're actually shooting your testimony in the face. You would rather get the last word in edgewise in social media because you lean conservative or you lean liberal and Jesus said, lean not on your own understanding and yet you are shooting your testimony in the face just to get just just to try and win an opinion let's start having cam- conversations counterfeit evangelism is alive and well today wants to evangelize your kids your family your marriage to believe convert be imposed to the spirit of babylon number 4 there's a counterfeit faith and fear at work in this story counterfeit faith and counterfeit fear. See, those men and women of every tribe of every nation, even those that used to be God-fearing Jews in Jerusalem that were now under the, the uh, mighty thumb of Nebuchadnezzar, they all bowed. They all worshiped. And they did not, it's not because they had faith in the image. It's because they were afraid of the image. And f- just just follow me on this. Fear is faith in the wrong kingdom. Fear is Satan's counterfeit faith. I don't mean about a healthy fear of, of uh, you know, not just walking into traffic, I, that, that's okay, that's a good safeguard, that's a, that's a fence. I'm talking about chains. I'm talking about being afraid in this culture and in this season, and you being afraid is actually faith at work in your life, but it's not the real faith, it's a counterfeit. Faith, fear is faith in the wrong kingdom, in the wrong God, the spirit of Babylon's God. And so what we have to do is we have to understand fear of the Lord is the real, the real faith and the real fear. Bible says fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, when you say fear of the Lord, it's not fear afraid of what might God do because that's counterfeit fear. Churches have gone years actually building counterfeit fear in people, counterfeit faith. The real fear of the Lord is not about, I'm afraid of what God might do. And so I bow down, I'm afraid of him. Fear of the Lord is like having a baby in your hands and you, you, you're very gentle you're more gentle than normal you you, you you don't treat that baby like it's just a load of laundry you, you you're precious with it you're gentle with it you're you're slow and careful you're not afraid of what that baby might do to you you're afraid of what you might accidentally do to that baby and that's what fear of the Lord really is it's It's not a fear of what God might do. It's a fear of how my actions, how my character, how my convictions, how my conduct might might grieve the heart of the Lord. And so I treat him precious and I treat him with wisdom, with, with, with sovereignty and with holiness. And that's the beginning of wisdom. This culture wants to sell you all kinds of counterfeit wealth in counterfeit image, counterfeit worship, counterfeit evangelism, counterfeit fear and faith, but the fear of the Lord honoring him first no matter what happens out here, no matter what you might face, that's the key. And so in this moment, Nebuchadnezzar says, everybody when you hear the music play and you've got the you've got everybody's getting ready and he goes Hit it. Hit it. Nebuchadnezzar's bow down. And they start bowing down. And can you see it in your eye? The entire plane of Dura. Whether they honored God or not, whether they came from Israel or not, regardless of Babylon or Nebuchadnezzar was their king or not, they were forced to bow low. What a sign. And And I know some of you right now are not really thinking about me bowing. You're thinking about, man, how did his hair get so thin so fast? I know, me too, me too. They bow down before the music, they bow down before the golden statue, they bow down before the counterfeit king. And yet there are in this wilderness like three lone trees on the prairies of Kansas. There they are. The music is full blast. And yet three Hebrew children stand strong in the middle of what might be the last moments of their life because they're making a choice as things get heated. The story continues, your majesty uh, has issued a decree. These astrologers came to Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, they saw Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego uh, over there in the field and the music is playing. And these astrologers say, uh, uh-uh. no, they didn't. If I got a bow, you got a bow. Uh Uh-uh, and so they go over to the king and they say, your majesty, you issued a decree, but there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. can I just say that's an exaggerated statement? Of course, they pay attention to their majesty. They are officials in the province of Babylon. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar isn't gonna let his officials just pay no attention to him. So they are escalating the issue in order to point out the flaw. They're looking at the speck in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but they wanna make it a log to justify their uh, position. Now, Nebuchadnezzar, obviously, being driven by arrogance and pride, furious with rage Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach Meshach and Abednego and the music kind of dies down and uh, Shackrack and Benny approach the king in front of everybody and, and here's what the king says well, "Guys is it true? Is it true Shakrach and Benny?" that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up. And he doesn't even give him a chance to respond. They're going to say, well, actually, King Jesus says, no, 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 When you hear the sound of all kinds of music, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image I made, <laughs> very good, very good. But if you do not worship, I'm going to throw you immediately into the blazing furnace. And he doubles down on his power and his arrogance and his position. He says, then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? (laughs) He did not know the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He did not know the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The truth is this counterfeit king, he really wasn't in charge. You may wanna write it down somewhere in your notes. King Jesus is in charge and will always be in charge of whoever is in charge. Whether you see him at work, I want you to know he's in charge and he's on the move. If it hasn't been your timeline, I want you to know he's in charge and he's on the move. If if your candidate is getting ready to be inaugurated or your candidate is packing their bags and. moving out, I want you to know King Jesus is in charge of whoever is in charge, and he's about to display the authority of his hand in a powerful, powerful way. This comes to our tension today. The major tension that you and I can live in, in the middle of trying to serve God, and also dealing with the flesh, And, and here it is. Can I still, write it down, can I still worship God even when I don't get the life I really wanted? Now we think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego standing up there strong, tall, like three large oak trees in the middle of the prairies of Kansas, but the truth be told, these were teenagers that 20 years ago were ripped from their homes put in chains and walked 700 miles to a a palace that wasn't theirs. They were nobility. They were royalty. We don't know for sure, but most likely they were castrated and became eunuchs in the kingdom. Why why do I say that? Because the chief over Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was the chief of the eunuchs. And in earlier scriptures in the book of Isaiah, when there's prophecy given about captivity, Isaiah will say um, exiles, out of Israel will come and be eunuchs in the king's house of Babylon. We don't know if they were castrated or not, but can you imagine the reason why would be their full devotion is to the king. They're not going to have kids. They're not going to be married. They're married to the kingdom's priority. They're married. Their, their, Their total love and loyalty is to Nebuchadnezzar. Castrated or not, eunuchs or not, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are standing there single, no children, no legacy, in a place that's not their own. Officials in the province of Babylon, but they were royalty in Israel. It was not the life they probably dreamed of. It probably wasn't the life that they had thought of as they went to high school there in Jerusalem. But the question is, even when you don't get the life you wish you had, the life you really wanted, can you still worship God? Why did you get into this Christian business? Why did you begin to follow Jesus? Was it because what you could get out of him? Or is it because you trust him and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him because you know that he'll make your path straight even when you are on a path with your life that you didn't expect? Story continues that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, king, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. (laughs) What? They're standing before a fiery furnace, before a 90-foot statue, before a Babylonian king who's demanding their worship, and they say, we don't need to defend ourselves. (laughs) Take some advice, everybody. Take some advice, We we spend so much time defending ourselves these days to people that you're not going to convince. Like you're wasting breath and you're building conflict. Do you know the number one builder of conflict between people? Oxygen. When you give oxygen to a conflict, it escalates it. We don't need to defend ourselves. We're not gonna sit here and explain to you all the things. I mean, you ripped us out of our own country. You tore down our temple. You you took all the sacred things and you melted them down and you used them in your own temple. You did all these things. I mean, you made us eunuchs for crying out loud. You made us, you know, all kinds of stuff. We don't have to defend ourselves. And he says, look, if we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve, is able to deliver us from it. And he will. This is a nod to what Nebuchadnezzar just said. Nebuchadnezzar said, what God can pull you from my hand. Whoa, he will deliver us from your majesty's hand, because your hand is a counterfeit hand. We know the one true hand of God. But now here's where they double down and here's the harder piece. Cuz if you grew up in church, <coughs> spoil alert, they make it out. They're thrown in and they make it out, okay? But, but that's not the, really the hidden gem for us today. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand and he's gonna happen, just watch. But here's a very important truth right here. But, they say, even if he doesn't, we want you to know your majesty, will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you've set up. Can I show you something here? Even if he doesn't, God's good all the time. But sometimes his goodness doesn't match up with my understanding of what I would hope goodness is. Even if he doesn't show up the way I want him to show up, your majesty, We're not gonna serve your gods. We're not gonna worship the image of gold you've set up. Can I show you something that's a great tool for your own character and mine uh, during this season that we're in as a nation? They are respecting without relenting. Even if he doesn't, he's gonna pull us out of your hand, your majesty. There is still respect without relenting. I'm inviting us to elevate our respect for one another without relenting. Many times we think that if we, if we don't throw that post on social media, if we don't really tell you like it is, that, that somehow we're, we're lessening our values or we're, we're shrinking back or we're cowering to the culture of Babylon. But there is something they showed here. They didn't have to defend themselves and they stayed respectable without relenting. They stayed, they stayed um, um, kind, They stayed with purity. They stayed acting like God, the son of God and still getting their point across. And here's what happens. Their kindness and their respectability, it didn't go very far because what did Nebuchadnezzar do? Nebuchadnezzar was furious, and his attitude toward them changed. And some of you say, "Well, maybe if they'd gotten up in his face, maybe they had told him, maybe they've pounded down, maybe they pushed back, broke some broke some windows, and walked through his uh, his all uh, you know his capital there. Maybe they should have shown him what, what what they meant that their God meant business." No, Nebuchadnezzar was furious, and his attitude toward them changed. And he ordered the furnace seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the stronger soldiers in his army, tie them up and throw them into the blazing furnace. And he was so irrational about this, it's crazy what happens next. The king's command was so urgent, the furnace was so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Stop, many times we miss the miniature miracles they've already been saved. Before they were even through into the fire, they were already saved. I mean, the soldiers died and yet Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego were still alive. Miniature miracles along the way to your miracle. You may not get the miracle you are looking for, but do not underestimate and do not ignore the miniature miracles that are all along the road that you're traveling as you serve your one true real, not counterfeit God. They were thrown into the blazing furnace. As we conclude today, let me offer you three ways my faith has developed through fire. Three ways. I read this in a Beth Moore study. Um, This is where I I, I got this part of of, of this message. It meant so much to me when I read this. And I know that some of you need to really, you need to really chew on this. There's three ways that my faith has developed through fire. And sometimes, I'm delivered from the fire. Now, what's the fire? The fire can be anything that's bringing heat in your life. Let me give you an example. The fire is a tense relationship. Let me give you another one. The fire is an X-ray that shows something that isn't normal. A tumor that exists, spots that are unusual. And so you go into the doctor and there's conversation Come back in a few weeks. We're gonna give you some more reports. We're gonna take some more x-rays. Sometimes God, sometimes God delivers us from that fire. You go home, you talk to some friends, you pray. You say, hey, I got some bad reports. I go back for, uh, you know, the, the diagnosis and prognosis. And, and can we just pray that this would be gone? And you pray and you pray that the tumor would disappear. And, and sometimes, sometimes you're delivered from the fire. And they come back and they say, I don't know, the, it's gone. They the, the go back to the doctor and they say, hey, it's, it's not here anymore. Or they say, wow, this, this is different. Like it's, it's shrunk down. I, I, I'm not for sure why this happened. And you say, I can tell you why, because we, we prayed. And when I'm delivered from the fire, from it, my faith is built. There's something like having a miracle moment like that when you're faced with the fire and you're delivered. Instead of having to to be in the fire, you're delivered from the fire and God does a absolute miracle in your life. That builds our faith. When Lazarus was dead for four days and Jesus shows up for, uh, on that fourth day and he raises Lazarus from the dead, he says to Mary and Martha, I- I'm doing this so that God would be given glory, that, that people would understand and give glory to God. In other words, their faith would be built in a restorative, unbelievable, supernatural miracle. And, sometime, and I want you to know it's okay to pray that way. We ought to pray that way every day. We ought to pray that we be delivered from the fire and it will build our faith. But sometimes that's not the scenario we face. Sometimes it's not delivered from. Sometimes I'm delivered through the fire. For Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they were not delivered from the fire, they were delivered through the fire. And when I'm delivered through the fire, here's what happens to my faith. My real faith is purified. My faith is purified. The apostle Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter one, trials are only to test your faith, to see whether or not it's strong and pure. It's being tested as fire tests gold and purifies it there's something about fires in your life that you come out if you hang on to real faith and not counterfeit faith if you hang on to the God who delivers when you walk through the fire you know that when you get through it there's something you know about God you didn't know before the fire there's a there's a preciousness about his presence that you didn't understand and you didn't feel and you didn't grasp and you didn't get into uh, until you walked through the fire there was something about the fire that just purifies your intensity of a man you God with us and you'll walk through the fire and you made it across and you're able to tell people whoa, that was intense that was hot that was crazy didn't know what was gonna happen but you were refined through that fire but there's a third way that God delivers us sometimes I'm delivered by the fire I'm delivered by the fire and my faith is perfected In other words, I'm delivered by the fire into the hands of Jesus, into the arms of a loving God. That the tumor came and the prognosis and the chemo started. And we expected God to deliver from or deliver through. But maybe, maybe it became a reality that God was delivering by. Truth is, you're not alone if you've ever faced that. If you're facing that even now, seemingly, or you face that with a loved one, Jesus understands. He knows what you're going through. Hebrews says it like this, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, perfecter of it. Our faith isn't perfect until we see Jesus face to face. For the joy set before him to perfect that faith, he endured, the cross, he endured the fire. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So consider him who endured such opposition so that you'll not grow weary and lose heart, that God loves you that God sees you, that he is a deliverer and he may deliver you from or through. Ultimately, he will deliver you by if it's not the others and you can be in his hands and in his arms and your faith is perfected. Do not get weary in doing good. Do not get weary in standing strong in a culture of compromise. The story concludes as Nebuchadnezzar, sits back on his throne, waits for the smell of burning flesh. His eyes catch something interesting. There through the fire, he's, he takes a double take and he says, hey, 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 look. I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound, unharmed, walking around. The fourth looks like a son of the gods. Can I tell you, look, look at their posture. They didn't just go in there and go, ah! They're walking around. I don't know if they're singing a song together, you know. We didn't start the fire. That's terrible. (laughs) Uh, Let's get fired up. No, I don't know what they're singing. I don't know what they're doing, but they're walking around to their own music, to their own harp, to their own drums, to their own horn, and they're not alone. It's the son of the gods. He didn't know what he looked like, but he was seeing Jesus with them. Isaiah 150 years earlier would pin the words that when you walk through the water, when you go through the fire, I will be there with you. He never leaves, he never forsakes. No matter how he delivers you through, with, from, or by it, he's gonna be with you no matter what. And Nebuchadnezzar jumps off his throne and he approached the opening of the blazing furnace and he shouted, Rakshak and Biny, servants of the most high God, come out, come here. Notice that he didn't say, hey, and you fourth guy, come on out too. I would, he's probably like, I don't know if I wanna mess with that guy. Cause he had met his match for sure. So Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego came out of the fire. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their head singed. Their robes were not scorched. God is in the details of your life, everybody. And there was no smell of fire on them. That's crazy. I can't order fajitas at Cafe Del Rio without coming home smelling like fajitas. I can come home, my wife's like... Were you at Del Rio today? Like just the the, the the heat of the fajitas are on me, let alone the smell of smoke from a blazing furnace that that executes the soldiers within a few feet of the entrance. God is in the details. He sees you in your fire. It's not a matter of if you'll ever walk through it. It's a matter of when. It's a not a matter of if you'll bow. It's to whom you will bow because everybody's bowing to something. Can I conclude with this one thought? I wanna give you this very dangerous counterfeit incognito. It's this counterfeit reality that's at the very end of this story. And when you first read it, it sounds good but there's a danger in it. It's a very dangerous counterfeit that you and I, if we're not careful, it, begins, it, it, it exists in our life without even knowing it incognito, okay? Here, here's, here's what happens. At the end of this story, after Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego walk out and they're like, whew, man, we made it, you know? They, they're like, yeah, yeah. Here's what Nebuchadnezzar, he said, wow, praise be to God. Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Hallelujah who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. I mean, he sounds like preacher Nebuchadnezzar now, not King Nebuchadnezzar. He goes on to say, oh, I want to tell you somebody. They trusted in him and they defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Can I get a witness, King Nebuchadnezzar says? Nebuchadnezzar finishes by saying, Therefore, I decree. At the beginning of this chapter, he's decreeing, Everybody bow down to me. If you don't bow, you're going into the furnace. And here he says, Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Oh, he's so close. He's so close. And here's how he finishes If you say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you will be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble for no other God can save in this way. What? Sounds really evangelistic. Almost sounds like Nebuchadnezzar had a salvation experience. Almost sounds like Nebuchadnezzar got close to the power of the one true king. But there's something in Nebuchadnezzar that can be in you and can be in me, and it's a counterfeit surrender. See, Nebuchadnezzar came face to face with the blazing glory of almighty God. But he still, when he decreed, he could have said, therefore I decree, tear down this statue. Music, turn up and let's, let's give music and let, let's turn up the music and, and let's honor this God who is in the furnace with, with these men. I, I'm gonna step down and I'm, I'm gonna bow towards that son of the gods in that fiery furnace. Nebuchadnezzar had a good talk, but he really didn't have salvation because he didn't understand surrender. He still wanted his authority and his power. Don't be afraid of that God. Don't fear that God. Fear me, I'll cut you into pieces. I'll burn your house down. And his pride clouded his opportunity for salvation and real surrender. Friends, listen to me now. This week is an important week in our nation's history. The last two weeks have been important weeks in our nation's history. These last, year, this last year of uh, election time has been crazy in our nation's history. And it's important that we figure out and remember that God isn't inviting us just to have lip service to him and then put all the power and the authority in our own hand. That's counterfeit kingdom. That's counterfeit surrender. So what's the anti-venom? What's the antidote? (laughs) Put your image in who God is, who he made you to be. Worship him in spirit and in truth. Our last closer night is this Wednesday night at the Nacogdoches campus. Come on, let's put away our counterfeit worship and let's go all in this Wednesday night. Evangelism, propose instead of impose, invite people to the goodness of God. Faith, knowing God can do even when you don't see. Even if he doesn't free you the way he thought he would, you, would, you would be freed. If he doesn't turn out the way that he thought it should turn out, that we can have faith and fear of a holy good God that's still in charge of whoever's in charge and truly choose surrender over control. Now, you do that. You live in that tension, in a culture of compromise. And there will be kings and other people that will look to you and say, whoa, I wanna know more about that kind of God that walks with you through the fire. Would you pray with me today? All locations, close your eyes, bow your heads. Father, I, I ask if there is anything counterfeit, if there's any spirit of Babylon, spirit of darkness, eradicate it, illuminate it, show it so it can be gone. God, may we lean into who you say we are, not who this culture begs us to be. That we would worship you in spirit and in truth, not not feel like we are pushed into a relationship with you, but you give us the freedom to worship. Lord Jesus, that we would truly then choose surrender. Is there any area in my life I've yet to surrender, to relent, to, to let go of control? I've allowed pride to build statues in my life. I've let pride cause me to be about me about you, and today, Lord Jesus, we, we exchange all of that fake, monopoly, counterfeit Babylon spirit for the one true God. We even take the counterfeit fire of what we're afraid of, and we invite you, God, to be the all-consuming fire that refines us, that walks with us ultimately perfects us when we stand face to face with you. We ask it all in the mighty, powerful name of Jesus. And everybody said amen.